2: Welcome to it. Great to be with you on a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. We're loaded up, man. Excited to be with you. And uh, we'll spend time with Mike Babcock and Mike Schuhart In this first hour, uh, Justin LaPera, director of Day by Day, will join us at 5. And a room for you. Numbers to get in. 466 3776 466 76 800 825 5865. Can email the show, chris at com. Give us a find and follow on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio. Chris Schmidt at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. A lot to get into. Some scheduling thoughts. The SEC and ACC putting their collective heads together to do away with divisions. Some rules to look forward to this summer by the NCAA, which means you could have as many coaches and as many dudes on scholarship as possible. That's floating out there. And of course, uh, what does the coaching carousel look like now that hindsight is 2020? So, plenty to get into some golf thoughts. Real quick visitors update uh, recruiting never stops for Nebraska. And uh, some updates for June. We uh, talked a little bit about Mav Noonan earlier this week with Coach Waller of Elkhorn South chiming in about Mav. Uh, Noonan will be on campus first part of June. And then a slew of guys, some wideouts, and uh, a running back to tell you about. Oh, Marion Miller. He's an LSU commit. Miller uh scheduled to be at Lincoln on June third. Josh Manning also uh pretty high profile wide receiver that first weekend in June, a running back that Coach Applewhite has his sights set on, Don Travius Braswell, and then Barry Jackson and Ronan Hafnan. Two other wideouts. So and, and these wideout body types are different. You got your six ones, your six twos, your six threes, and then some of your slot guys. So there you have it, Nebraska continuing to do work on the trail. So let's get into it. CBS Sports has put out, Tom Fernelli has regraded <laughs> coaching hires of uh, 2017, 2018. And remember that carousel. How nuts was it? What was open? Oregon was open a and was open shocking nebraska was open florida was open you had some other gigs that opened up central florida because of scott frost leaving central florida and i think ucla also open so you had some pretty high profile gigs that were open uh, ohio state stayed in house with ryan day which that was a good call. Ohio State doesn't screw up their coaching changes. They've always either maintained or upgraded, it feels like, between Trestle to Urban and now to Ryan Day. That's why well, they was stayed there was, on top. There
0: was, there was a point where Luke Fickle was coached
2: for the yeah, he, was, he well, was interim.
0: But, and at the time it didn't look great because Ohio State wasn't great that year, but now you look back and you go, well, okay, maybe they maybe they didn't even have a bad coach there either.
2: You know what's funny is you look at that that 20- 2011 Ohio State team that ended up going six and seven they still made it to a bowl game they were crushing Nebraska till Levante David put his Superman cape on Mm -hmm. and they were still good I mean Carlos Hyde Braxton Miller plenty of NFL dudes still they were just in transition because of tattoo gate and they they said no we're not gonna we're not going to impose a postseason ban this year, so they go play in the Gator Bowl against a equally crappy six and six Florida team. Great bowl matchup, two bad off years for both programs, and then the year after, they have to sit out. They're ineligible. Think about that, because that was the year Nebraska played Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. Because who was ineligible on the other side of the the, the division? Urban and Ohio State because they went bowling to some meaningless Gator Bowl at 6-6. Six and six. Uh, You had, uh, who else? Penn State because of Joe Pa yep. and his sickness. And remember, that was the year I felt like, man, Nebraska's got Wisconsin
0: in the Big Ten Championship game. It's they already over. beat them once this year. You might as well just put that thing up on the wall already. Yeah, I was wrong. No,
2: Nebraska yeah. was so cardiac that year with how many times they got down by 7 to, to 10 points and they'd pull one out of the fire twice at home, uh, against Wisconsin. Yeah. They the only went against Wisconsin. They came from 17 points down, and then also Ohio State that
0: year. But two awful memories me. against Wisconsin that year. Despite the fact you won the first one, you were wearing those terrible Scrabble uniforms. Yeah, those were, those were awful. Those, those and then you have good. the Big Ten championship game where you just lose by 40 points. So uh, both of those games you, you don't want to see replayed ever
2: again. One for the jerseys, one for the result I, I'm getting 11 and 12. But I'm saying you had a lot of tight ball games in, in 2011, 2012 that you found ways to win. But as Fornelli goes through this, you had Jimbo Fisher plucked from Florida State, given an insane contract with A&M. The original grade on Jimbo was an A, right? Jimbo went in there, kind of resurrected Florida State, brought in a ton of talent, was with Saban at LSU. So Jimbo knows, historically knows quarterbacks, knows how to get high profile, high Level talent. A&M's always had talent. They just never got out of their own way. Even some of the teams that would upset in Nebraska or in Oklahoma, per se. And, and I like Coach Sherman. And his first round grades were incredible. I mean, he'd have three or four dudes that felt like the Von Millers of the world, or the Mike Evans of the world, or he left the Johnny footballs of the world, to Sumlin, right? You inherited some really good teams if you're Kevin Sumlin. But you go and A&M gets Jimbo. The grade right now is at a B-plus for A&M. Uh, the original grade is an A. Uh, they, got, they got Bama last year. Still kind of limped to an 8-4, and four, I believe. But he's 20 games over five hundred. The name you're waiting for, Scott Frost. His accomplishment per CBS, this is not my writing. I am repeating what is written here. The greatest three-win team in college football history. That That is what Scott Frost has accomplished at 15 and 29. The question, how is it going? Not well per CBS. The original grade in A. Let me ask you this. Is there anybody you know, and you can change your answer based on how you feel now, but at the time, is there anybody that didn't think this thing was going to be a slam dunk? You might maybe had some hesitation or reservation just because coach hadn't been a head coach for that long two years or he thought you know what maybe it'll be a couple
0: years of struggle but then he'll get things right sure that, that's what i felt like the most conservative take was
2: the conservative take was all right year one maybe he goes bowling but the take nationally was by year three he's going to be in the big 10 title yep. game okay and and i'll say this way off on my end because I, I i didn't think he'd be in the big 10 title game but I thought they'd be bowling by year two. They'd be in an eight, fo- eight and four, nine and three by year three. And they could could be. I mean, that, that record could be reversed. It's not. So they got to get out of their own way and be good. I do hold true to what Uncle Bill Moose did say. Judge Scott Frost after year five. I, I truly believe, and in talking with some folks that were down at the program, that it was a bleep show from a management style. and It's not that Mike Riley hasn't or can't coach football. He keeps getting jobs. Part of that's personality. Part of that's respect. But you, you can't. it's pro style versus college style. Hands-on or hands-off. Your management style matters to what type of team you have. I saw on Twitter last night, and I think Jordan Westerkamp tweeted this out, that that Miami game down in Coral Gables that was the overtime where Nebraska's getting throttled and then they come back and and they lose in overtime to Miami.
0: Wasn't it? That was Corn Elder year, right? The year that Corn Elder from Miami had a pick six.
2: Probably. I mean, that there was a lot of bad things that happened in the first half, and then Yolo Tommy went off. I remember, and, and the mean and got being,
0: hot. The, the meme being though that Nebraska lost to a guy named Corn. <laughs> I remember that distinctly.
2: Well, uh, anywho, you, you have that, that season, and you have those results, and Frost is is now at a grade of a D. Original grade A, as we revisit the coaching carousel of 2017-2018, the grade is D. Frost on the hottest of hot seats. Nebraska's not reached a bowl. The Harbaugh plan in effect, to take a pay cut to get yourself another year, and uh, that doesn't necessarily need the playoff berth that Harbaugh did uh, with Michigan, and if Nebraska fails to earn a bowl game, again, uh, it doesn't feel like the pay cut will save him. I don't want to get into temperatures and the what-if game yet. I I think the writing's in invisible ink right now. It's just a matter of whether or not it gets washed off with a good season or it gets peed on, so you can read what the writing is. And, you, you know, this grade, a D, you can't argue with because of, of how they've lost. They've not gotten blown out, which is, you can understand being as many games under 500 in Big Ten and overall if you're just getting whipped. They're not. So it's 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 about finding ways to win and, and being composed in crunch time, and and they've had to reassess a little bit, and I think that goes back to the extension that people scream about now, but I think after year two after 2019, uh, Frosty's like, look, I got to reset, I got to reset with with how we're recruiting, what we're doing, and I need two more years, I I, I need two more years added on and moose obliged him i mean but i i, I can't
0: disagree with the article a, a d rating though i mean as the article says his crowning achievement is being the greatest 3-1 football team I, of all time which is that's just a, a
2: crown of the ta- right it's, it's, be, it's being the tallest short kid
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i mean and, and with all these close games yeah I, I don't think nebraska is as bad as the record indicates but Winning football games is what pays the bills in the Big Ten mm-hmm. or anywhere. Really, you, you can you can shine that turd all you want, but at the end of the day, it's still, still a turd. turd. Nebraska's still under five hundred every single season. Under what what did Chin
2: say? You either float or you sink, but you're still a turd. <laughs> still turd. I like that. So you could even argue a D may be kind. <laughs> and, well, and, I, I, and, I think uh, and I think three and nine, but. The the results is
0: why you get a D instead of an F, because it has been. Sure, it's been close. It's been and I, I think we as Husker fans it's been painful. Can see whenever this thing I mean, you've heard Scott Frost say for probably three years now, when this thing pops, it is really gonna pop in his words. And I, from watching this program, believe that is true. And I think you can see that in the results last season, where once this thing does get right, Nebraska is gonna start winning football games. I don't think they go and go from three and nine to say six and six next year next year and get in by the skin of their teeth. Either they make a bowl game convincingly, I'm talking eight and four, seven and five, S- seven and is even a little, I, I look at it and I go, if there's five losses on that schedule, there's probably seven losses on that schedule. Oh,
2: completely. But I mean, you look at, at the last couple of years, specifically last year, COVID was kind of funky, right? I mean like Minnesota and Illinois, you're, you're still like, w- what the hell? Uh, but when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to last year, you could, you found nine losses, but you could have found seven to eight to nine wins if, if, it, if it goes right. Um, I flip it around to just the overall schedule discussion because that's uh, on the table too, with college football. And it sounds like the SEC and the ACC are going to flip to a three uh, 3-5 type schedule setup. Do away with divisions have three permanents on your schedule, and then rotate around the other five uh, with your, with your eight-game conference schedule. It sounds like the SEC may flip around and drop from a nine-game, make that go from an eight-game to a nine-game conference schedule, and that's been in the, in the talks for a while. What's interesting, though, is if they keep divisions, they would, they would do some moving, they would add texas they'll add oklahoma they'll shift missouri from the from the east so it'd be texas oklahoma missouri now in the west with the mississippi schools and then you're going to and, and lsu and a&m and then you would move <laughs> you would move auburn and bama over to the east we already have Tennessee and you have Georgia and you have Florida and they, they have this blue sky theory where it's not going to be every 12 years. Nebraska's seen Michigan twice in Lincoln since they've moved into the big 10 neighborhood. That's too, too few times. Okay. We'll get into how a, a, a non Division Big Ten would look and what you would like. We'll talk with Mike Babcock about that, but we'll flip it around to the SEC, where A and M has only played Georgia once. That was at Georgia. Georgia's never been to Psychoville, where Finkel's the mayor down in Aggieland, which is which is not right. It's 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 not right that Nebraska's been to. Ohio State a thousand times, and Ohio State's been to Lincoln a few times, but more times than than Michigan. Penn State's been to Lincoln just a handful of times, but there's been lots of trips out to Siberia. Mortica, Mike Babcock's on the way. It's Hail Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Hello, listener. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hail Varsity Radio, and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hail Varsity Radio Show. of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe, promo code GBR.
1: And now, and now
2: back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time. at Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Reminder to you, your chance to beef up your backyard. We'll give you a chance here before the hour is done to qualify with your friends at Russ's and Capitol Patio and the Flame Shop for that smoky mountain cooker smoker. And the gift card to Russ's for all sorts of good meat. We say hi to Mike Babcock, HaleVarsity.com and Magazine at MDBabs on Twitter. Babbers, what do you know? How you doing?
3: Hey, I'm doing okay. I'm handling the uh, heat and the wind um, just fine.
2: That, that the, the wind is kicked up. I don't like the wind. The heat was... Real interesting early, early, early this morning it it felt like well, it felt like two of days were here, Babbers
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just uh I was just talking to uh, Tony Davis, and he was talking about um, how spring practices used to be contact <laughs> every day uh-huh. um, uh, and uh, it made me think about that. um you're going you're going uh, f- full pads. Every day in the spring. you have camp, same way.
2: You're having to tackle Tony Davis. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. good, good luck <laughs> yeah. and God bless on, on that one. Old number 25. Now, we'll talk with Justin LaPera, part of Day by Day, and I know Josh and Tony big with uh, the Day by Day documentary. That drops at the Rococo tomorrow. Mike, uh, we'll get into some some football stuff in a second, but uh, I know you're a part of this documentary as well. Got to be pretty excited.
3: Um, yeah, it's it's um, uh, quite the quite the thing. This is the first part, and then there'll be a second part to it. And uh, yeah, I did some I I I did some interviews with them, but uh, um, not that I'm going to appear on the documentary. But um, I I did do do some interviewing with them. Um, they it was a very aggressive uh, uh, idea, I think, and they did uh, they they caught a hold of a lot of people and uh, investigated it beyond just the uh, the superficial, mm-hmm. uh, obvious success, good things and bad.
2: You know, and Mike, you were covering Nebraska back then. Let me ask you this. We we were just going over the, the regrading, the coaching carousel twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. 2017-2018. Were you, as a guy that was close to the program and covered the program, were you expecting a breakthrough at some point? I mean, just, just looking at the body of work, how, how good and how close Nebraska had been?
3: Um, yeah, you know, I, I thought, that, I've probably said this before, but, that, you know, kind of the attitude when Coach Osborne uh, stepped aside and, and Coach Solich took over and there was kind of that attitude, that, you know, that uh, uh, every program had con- kind of gone through a down cycle. Uh, Frank had the one seven and seven season. Then Steve Peterson came in, fired him. Uh, Bill Callahan came on board, and I always tell people it was kind of a funny thing. And I'm probably being redundant here, but you know, Bill's first season was a losing season, and uh, people kind of looked at it and said, "Well, you know, there's the downslide. You know, now we're ready to go back and and uh, move up again." And, uh, you know, that's kind of been the attitude with, with people toward the, toward the program that at some point it's going to get back to where it was. I don't think it'll ever be back to the, to the level that it was. And, and the way college football is changing with the transfer portal and the NIL and the restructuring of the SEC, you know, adding Oklahoma and Texas and, and the way the playoff is set up right now, I think it gets harder and harder. Uh, for programs to, uh, to, to reboot. And, you know, I think it's more difficult for Nebraska to, to go back, even to be consistently competitive at the national level because of the way the college football has changed, if that makes any sense. But, you know, it, it's, you know, every program downslide, Alabama had a downslide, Oklahoma had a downslide, uh, came back. But it was a different time when they did that. And that's the thing that, that concerns me the most about the situation facing Nebraska right now, is it has the game changed enough that it is more difficult to resurrect a program um, in, in this climate?
2: You mentioned the timing and the changes, and eventually the, the downslide's got to stop. And you you need to be a little bit fortuitous with the uh, the ebbs and flows of the sport and the landscape, when you can kind of bounce back up, and it's to your to your point it's gotten more difficult with shifting and recruiting and staying power and are you winning to uh, to continue to bring in really good players now the, the portal's been a been a blessing for Nebraska it's not that they haven't lost good talent they, they've lost some some experience, but Nebraska has used the portal to their advantage, so maybe it it flips around this year.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you know, again, one of the difficult things about it is, you know, uh, that, that I didn't mention was social media. Um, also, the, for example, the SEC. Let's take the SEC for example, because that's at the top of the list right now in terms of conferences. Um, SEC Network is affiliated with ESPN. ESPN, in a lot of ways, is a promotional network for the SEC and those kinds of things also affect recruiting they affect uh, the perception of the league or whatever and it, it just makes it more difficult again uh... for, for programs like nebraska in the big ten i know that and i know the big ten has prestige but um... it almost uh, to the point where the SEC is going to be basically two conferences you got two divisions mm-hmm. of eight teams each and the, and the big ten is, is almost to there now too is you've got two divisions but it's it's basically like two conferences you're talking about how nebraska hasn't seen michigan very often here in memorial stadium or ohio state or penn state or whatever um it, it's almost like it's two conferences
0: mike babcock's with us here on hail varsity radio and Mike, I mean, it seems like the the Big Ten West, especially when you look at Iowa and Wisconsin, that they recruit completely differently to the Big Ten East. Nebraska being the one exception, uh, being a school that is consistently uh, pulling in top twenty-five recruiting classes. The results, though, still haven't been there. And that brings me to something we've heard from the day-by-day Day documentary, which is that uh, back in the '90s, they, they stopped really look at looking at. Rec- recruiting rankings and whoever else is recruiting and started picking different kinds of football players to bring here to Nebraska. Do you think that's the way forward for Nebraska in recruiting? I know NILs had a big effect, but do you think those, those recruiting rankings should mean less to Husker fans moving forward?
3: Well, you know, I think it's important, Elijah. Here's the thing. It's important to have a system, a clear-cut system, what you want to do, and then recruit to that system what you want to do. And, and, and to that extent... I don't think that you look for how many stars the player has. You look for guys that fit your system, first of all. And also, it's important that they fit into the, the community, uh, Nebraska, the, that it's a good fit being here. Because they show up here and they don't feel comfortable here, they don't fit in or whatever, and they're in the transfer portal and off they go. So you have to evaluate from that standpoint, and I think that was what always made Tom Osborne successful: was that it didn't, you know, you looked at Nebraska's recruiting classes, uh, there there weren't a lot of, uh, you know, uh, people that evaluated uh, recruits, and you didn't have a lot of the star. Uh, star system involved in that, but Nebraska didn't have uh, a lot of prominent national recruiting classes early on. But Tom always recruited to a system, and you know one of the changes that led to the to the uh, uh, national championship run was the change of the defensive system. Um, you know the, the way Nebraska had been playing. A 52 front, and they, and they went to a 4 um, 3 because they'd had some problems with teams that threw the ball. Uh, that was a big, that was a significant change, and it proved that Tom wasn't inflexible. <laughs> like he would make changes when he needed to. And, uh, you know, that was one of them. Going back, um, moving to a, a system where a quarterback could run with the ball as well as throw it. Um, that was an adjustment, you know. How do you be? How are you successful in the Big Eight at the time? You're successful by playing the way Oklahoma plays, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's what it helps you in practice. It helps you in, in in games as well. And even when when Colorado had its run, finally got up there. How did Colorado do it? It played the way Nebraska and Oklahoma did, with quarterbacks that were that were mobile that could run. Kansas State. How did Kansas State? have a little bit of a run there and get up there with Michael Bishop at quarterback and, and playing the way Nebraska and Oklahoma played. Now it's more difficult to do that, those kinds of things, but you have to be able to identify your system and recruit to that system. That's the important thing.
2: Mike, a couple of minutes, Bud. Uh, we, we touched on the ACC and the SEC probably doing away with divisions. That's on the table. Do you think the Big Ten follows suit? And if so, do they go to a kind of a pod system where it's three regular opponents, and then you 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 go round robin with five others?
3: Well, yeah, it's possible. But th- don't you think then that if you're going to go to a pod system, you better get two more teams in there, so you've got sixteen, so you've got four pods.
2: Okay, sure. So you need two more teams.
3: <laughs> I think so. I mean that that would be that would be my perception of it.
2: Who are, the, who are the three you draft here real quick uh, for Nebraska? I mean, is it as simple as Iowa, Wisconsin, and, and Minnesota?
3: Um, that's probably the way it's going to fit. You know, whatever your preference might be, that's probably the, uh, the three that you would have with Nebraska.
2: Any, any negotiating to trade out a Minnesota for maybe a Penn State or a Michigan? or Illinois.
3: No,
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. I've got nightmares of Bealuma.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't I, I don't know that you'd have that option. I mean, I you know Penn State's probably got to be in there with uh, Rutgers, Maryland gonna, and yeah. I don't know. I don't I'm I don't know who the uh, who the fourth one Sparty? would be.
0: 30 yeah, You, you got to keep Michigan or? Or? State with Michigan though. Well, you'll always have that. That, that one's got to be Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State and then a fourth. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and then that is going to be the question: Who's going to be the fourth one there? And you've got Illinois, Northwestern, Indiana, and Purdue. That's probably one. Mm-hmm. So you've got. To, I, I think you. I think you have to probably look at adding a couple. You know, the thing is, you, you probably the, the optimum thing is probably to have a, a, the 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 Pac twelve, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the SEC, and and dissolve the uh, Big 12. You got four 16 team conferences. You got 64 teams, and you kind of break off from the NCAA and do your own thing.
2: You just absorb Kansas and Iowa State. Call her good?
3: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know who you had to to the Pac 12, but um, I think that's 64 teams, four conferences with two divisions each. That's probably the way to go.
2: Babbers, uh, we'll, we'll send you out to. Uh... Well, where the hell is the Kansas City, I guess, the NCAA, Indianapolis. We'll send you to Indy.
3: Indy, there you go.
2: Mike, thanks for the time today.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. Be safe.
2: Mike Schuhart's coming up with Hale Varsity. Hello, listener. This is Brandon Vogel, managing editor of Hale Varsity,
4: and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast. We're offering $10 off the annual subscription price of $29.99. That means that you, for less than $20, get everything we produce 10 issues of our monthly magazine our annual football yearbook and all of the premium content we produce at hail just go to hail slash subscribe and enter the promo code gbr for ten dollars off a full year of hail varsity that's hail slash subscribe promo code gbr
2: and now back to hail varsity radio Thanks for hanging out. Good stuff from Mike Babcock. Justin LaPera, director, day-by-day documentary, drops at the Rococo tomorrow. We'll talk with him in about 25 minutes. Mike Shuhard, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Shuey closed the window, man. It's a little hot and steamy, but golf weather out there, aside from the wind, how you doing?
5: I'm doing great. I mean, it's what do they say about Nebraska? Just wait an hour and you'll get something different.
2: I think so, but the weather is is all sorts of lazy river swim up barish for me right now.
5: It is preparing everybody for that little lazy river swim up bar. Jump in the jacuzzi, go swim a few laps. How about that?
2: Oh, and then just repeat. So you can <laughs> you can actively work off your uh, your poolside cocktail is, is what you're telling me.
5: Exactly, and then you just repeat. So then after you do a few laps in the lap pool, then you got to go back to the swim a bar to get a cocktail and start the whole routine over again
2: Uh uh-huh uh give me a gatorade and a vodka uh yeah (laughs) mike shuart's with us wilderness ridge Shuey, want to get your thoughts here before we dive into some pga but uh just an update for folks i know people are so excited about becoming members of wilderness give us an update there and then i want to hear about them divot dogs and some of the summer programs you got going
5: yeah, so, man, they're out working right now pouring concrete, so it's like a little ant farm over there. There's a lot of activity going on, so each day it gets a little closer, so it's it's pretty cool to see the progress and see how close they're starting to get. So, super excited. Everybody's getting excited. A lot of people just stopping by and looking, and seeing what's going on over there, and, and uh, getting very anxious for it to open, so we'll be there soon.
2: That is awesome. Uh, with uh, the youth program you got going, how, how are the kids doing?
5: Uh, we haven't started yet, but we're getting ready to. So, and we have our camps, which are, man, we got 60 plus kids in our camps. Ooh. We have our, we actually created a divot dog in-house team. So we have teams that play against uh, themselves. And uh, all the people in their groups, and then we have our traveling team, which is what we always had so that start all that starts uh, in a couple weeks, so once school gets out we'll be we'll be hot and heavy into into that so we'll be strong again we always are
2: that sounds awesome. The travel team sounds pretty prestigious that's great and then the the daily competition too with, with, with the in-house sounds. Really, really fun and a great experience for kids who want to get into the game.
5: Yeah, it's fun. We're looking forward to our in-house, especially because we got them jerseys. So they kind of we're kind of training them to get ready and get excited and see if they want to uh, to move themselves up to take their skills on the road. So. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it.
0: Mike, well, what about lessons for adults? Say radio producers who have been uh, getting beaten by their boss on the golf course. We so need to get their that game improved this summer. That <laughs> does not
5: happen. Well, are there any options for them? Uh, we'd have to come in and evaluate you to see if there's a first of all. <laughs> we
2: we'll have to see if we want to take you on, is what he's saying. <laughs> is there anything that can even be done?
5: <laughs> yeah. I, might, I might steer you in a different direction or a different sport.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Elijah, your mustache and your swing, you have no shot. Move just, on, You're son. just not made for a golf course. <laughs> Move on. Uh, Shuey, I was reading some stuff on Charles Barkley. He was talking about... Tiger, kind of in the the heyday of the Tiger run, where Woods just was so methodical and locked in, and I love hearing Barkley just opine on things, and and yeah. he was like Tiger wasn't even having any fun, man. I mean, he was so driven. He had he had such a high bar to reach. Do you did you come across that? either you as a professional or peers of yours that were winning and in contention that didn't enjoy the moment or, or you around guys and and yourself when you won, were you able to enjoy it? Uh,
5: That's interesting because when I was at probably the height of playing and competing, um, when I was done with the tournament and I had won, Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it because it was, It was just over, you know, and it's like you don't really enjoy it because everything is about the prep work Mm -hmm. leading up to that. And while you're in it, doing what it is that you want to do, you know, the end prize is to to come out on top. But it's like you're more focused on the process Mm -hmm. of what you need to do from the beginning to the end. And then when it's done, it's just the end. And it's like, oh, it's over. You know, and it's like, I I felt that way. I know I won a tournament in Springfield on the it was the Nike Tour at the time, and I got done, and I'm like, it was kind of very anticlimactic. You know, it was super it was super exciting in the heat of it. Mm-hmm. You know, because I I got into a three way playoff. I happened to win the three way playoff, so it's like you're you're in the heat of the competition and battling. So that was the excitement part. You know, and the win is. Is exciting, but at the same time, it's like that's what you're. It, it's a little anticlimactic because it's like that's what's supposed to happen if I do what I've trained myself to do, mm-hmm. kind of. So, yeah, you see that a lot, you know, and really high caliber players actually come across that way, like they're very uh, arrogant, um, kind of an ass mm-hmm. in a way, but it, they're not. They're just incredibly focused and competitive and driven on what it is they want to do, so sometimes they come across that way. You know, you get those same people out of that environment and into a normal, relaxed environment. They're amazing, funny people. Like Nick Fowl, though, he was always given the, the stigma that he was he was from England and he was unapproachable and he wasn't a very nice man. You look at him now as a broadcaster, I mean, he's got a good sense of humor. He, he's very lighthearted, but not when it's time to compete. And they're competing that way. they That's not how they're they are wired.
2: They flipped that switch, and, you know, it's, it's not that there was no joy. It's the, the drive, and this is my job. This is what I came to do. So to your point about the process, probably almost a sense of relief to – To get across the finish line where you wanted to finish, sure. That's fair
5: to say. That's a good way to put it. Release
2: Mm -hmm. about a minute here. A quick take on Southern Hills. We'll dive further into PGA Championship next week. But Southern Hills, tell us about the course real quick. In Tulsa,
5: big big golf course, very hilly. That's why I'm really surprised that Tiger's playing. I mean it's it's going to be a a physical test because it's very hilly, up and down. Um, and it's a big golf course so he obviously feels pretty good physically that's why he, he entered the tournament so it'll be interesting I think he'll struggle a little bit kind of like he did at the Masters it's it's worse than the Masters as far as walking hilly wise So, but he obviously feels pretty good about his physical so um, we'll see
2: do you expect Phil?
5: uh don't care about Phil.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Long dramatic pause. Where do I go? How do I? Yeah, don't care about Phil. Fair enough. We'll, uh, we'll dive in a little bit further to the PGA. Shuey, best to you and your friends at Wilderness. And uh, thanks. thanks so much for jumping on with us today.
5: You bet. Thank you much. Everybody stay
2: safe. All right, there he is. Mike Shuehart, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Love hearing about them divot dogs. Good stuff from Shuey. And uh, we'll get to into the second major next week. We'll wind down hour one. Hail Varsity continues, presented by the Nebraska Lottery.
1: And now, and now, back to Hail Varsity Radio.
2: Winding down this first hour, uh, we'll check in with Justin LaPera. He is the director for Day by Day, the documentary that gets released. I know Nebraska fans have been. Clamming, clamoring for this, and it's been a long time a coming just because of COVID and the hours and the meticulous interviews and setup, telling the story of uh, Nebraska's dynasty, their dominance from 93 through 97. Uh, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Interesting here. Good story by Sam mcEwen of the World Herald real quick on. Wisconsin they've made some changes on offense they've got a Heisman favorite in Allen at running back <laughs> I mean he's 2.0 of a Dan Alexander if you remember that from Nebraska football back in the day as far as size speed breakaway and Allen looks to be a, another of the Wisconsin greats so they're they're switching things up a bit offensively but they they were unable to to land Maybe a change they wanted in the portal at quarterback, and if you uh, want to remember the quarterback they ran off, ended up doing pretty well for Notre Dame, uh, leading them to a d- d- double-digit win season. But I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say Wisconsin's teetering. They always seem to have a front f- a front seven that is menacing. They always seem to have legit talent and they develop and reload on the offensive line where they don't have to and they rarely put it in a quarterback's hands to go win the game aside from Russell Wilson. They let their O line and their running game along with their defense carry them to a nine and three about every year. Until yeah. they completely fall off. Like they we were talking about drop down seasons a lot this first hour. Their drop down was after a a twelve and one or a yeah, twelve and one season, finished fifth in the country. They they finished eight and five, and then bang, they're they're back up there at, at ten and three. I mean, the only thing they can't do is really typically hang with Ohio State.
0: I mean, if they have a defense that can average only allowing say twenty one twenty four points a game, they're going to be just fine handing the ball off forty times a game to Braylon Allen. Mm-hmm. That that's the thing with Wisconsin is. They have their system. We're talking about it with Mike Mike Babcock. Yeah, they have their system. They recruit to their system. Their system works for them. Is that system going to win them a national championship? Probably not. However, that that system is very, very good at getting them to 9 or 10 wins every single season. And despite the fact they don't have a quarterback, they've done it before without a quarterback. Uh, They're losing talent on the defense. So what? They've always reloaded Mm -hmm. on defense. I, I, I'm not predicting any sort of fall off here for Wisconsin.
2: No, you still got to go through them. Yeah. Right. And you got to go through them. And in years that Iowa's prevailed over them, it's been Iowa special teams. And they've, they've had a, a one more playmaker on offense and as stout of or sturdy of defense. Uh, and then there's Minnesota, too, that's been pretty good against both teams uh, on the road more so. Quick reminder about buckling up. One out of every three fatal crashes in Nebraska involves an alcohol-impaired driver. Why take chances if you drink, don't drive a message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Beef up your backyard right now. Get qualified for that smoky mountain cooker smoker with Capital Patio and the Flame Shop. Gift card to Russ's drawing end of May Qualify now. Log on ESPNLincoln.com if you want to try qualifying that way. But qualify. Caller 9-466-3776. 3776 Qualifies right now to beef up your backyard. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity. And I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you for less than $20 can get everything we produce. 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HailVarsity.com. Just go to HailVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HailVarsity.com backslash
5: I'd just say that in the 90s, without a doubt, what Tom did at Nebraska was the most dominant thing in college football. It's one of the greatest ever. His programs at Nebraska, I mean, they were so
2: strong. Dear Lord, the battles we go through life. Everybody said, well, he can't win the big one. I never want He can't win the big one I always thought Coach got a bad rap You know He's Tom Osborne He's a legend well,
4: There was a lot of angst There was a sense of urgency We had a lot to prove
2: chance to equal our strike A chance to do it there If we should win
4: That'd be by the cold And he hooked on left Florida State wins If we should lose we stand by the road and cheers the winners
6: go by. It was hard. We lost it all, man. We That game, it took from everybody. We started to make much more select choices
5: with our recruits.
6: We got to go out there and show everybody what
3: we can do.
5: The players that we recruited
2: were the type of players that you're going to have to kill them to beat them. You're talking about one of the most reckless classes ever, and there was times where I even thought about leaving.
5: Tommy had to sit on the
1: sideline and watch Brooke. Touchdown by
4: Wait a minute, this is more serious than thought it was. I can't back from this. Let's talk about the elephant in the room on the team. It was some racial separation between the team.
1: Lawrence Phillips turned himself into Lincoln Police 14 We were worried back. about Tom,
6: the stress he was under. Then the day that changed everybody's life. To uh, see the burnt-down
0: plane, he obviously knew the results.
5: We went out there to the crash site, and so I called his mom. It was probably the hardest call I ever made.
4: Having the moments where everybody doubted us that we weren't going to make it back is what you do next after that. Nobody thought we had a chance to win. We silenced every critic out there. This isn't a story about the straight and narrow.
5: At times it was downright nasty. But this is our story.
6: Hey, You keep better
2: Back into it. It's hour two. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Excited about the Nebraska football documentary, Day by Day. It premieres tomorrow at the Rococo Theater. Can log on daybydaymovie.com and get your seats secured at the Rococo. And uh, different showings uh, for the weekend as well. We bring in an incredible director for Day by Day, Justin LaPera. Justin, it's wonderful to chat with you. Last time I think we talked was was Boulder in 2019, man. But it's uh, it's finally Hi. here. The premiere's ready. How are you today?
6: Doing good. Doing really good. Really excited to finally get this out there. I think everybody involved is just really looking forward to tomorrow and, and seeing it on the big screen.
2: Let's... Uh, step back for a moment and touch on just the the, the entire process. The, the idea for this, a story about Nebraska's dominance and dynasty, how it came to fruition, and then your process, three parts there so folks kind of get a, a look-see into all the behind-the-scenes on, on your end and just the entire process, the enormity of this story.
6: Right. I mean, this this story surprisingly hadn't been told really yet and it's the ultimate sports story because it it speaks to larger than sports it's a really kind of a microcosm of, of what life is about you know and and so it's definitely a human interest story and and it's uh it's the characters and the people that made, did something very very special against all odds and so growing up in colorado i was a big Colorado fan actually and so during that time in the 90s Colorado had a really good good team but there was always one team that was better and that was the Nebraska Cornhuskers so you knew a lot as a fan you knew a lot about that team Um, you always had a lot of respect for Coach Osborne and you know as the years went by hearing just stories here and there about you know it wasn't just team that just was great I mean they were it was a great team in one, in 95 the most dominant team in college football history I believe but it was how they did it and, and in 94 with odds completely stacked against them and in in this resolve that they had and that was knowing a, a bit about that story but, you know this, this is a sports story for anybody who's a sports fan and even beyond sports fans and so I uh, Josh Davis, I grew up with in uh, Colorado. It's tough Tony Davis was my football coach in high school, so um, had some connections there to possibly get this thing going. And so Josh jumped on board to helping really kind of arrange the type of caliber of interviews we got from the team and from Coach Osborne, and also from um, people outside of the program. From you know, different sports writers to Peyton Manning. And so he, who, who played at Nebraska, for those that don't know Josh Davis, and then also Mark Brungart came on board as well to kind of help secure getting the financing, that kind of thing in place. And so, and, he, and Mark Brungart, uh, Nebraska, former Nebraska player as well. So it took, you know, having the former players involved and then um, this idea to tell this great, bigger story, a story that needs to be told out there to the world. And so that's that was the process, putting it together. We put together over 50 interviews in that process of telling the story. We wanted to make sure that the players and the people that were involved were telling the story, not, not me. Um, and so it really needs to come from them. Um, so there's no narrators or anything like that. It's truly told by those guys that lived it. And so it took a lot of interviews and tons of hours of film, over a hundred hours of interviews we did uh, alone. So, to, to piece this thing together. and It was really supposed to be just a one-off movie, and we realized during the process that it was really two movies that needed to be told, and they're very separate. So it became a two-part series is how we have it now. But those two movies are very distinctly different in the theme and what the storylines are. Um, the characters, a lot of them stay the same. We get new ones that come in in part two, Um But ultimately, it's two very different films, and we just had to do it because you really can't tell one without the other. And so it's down to four hours. I mean, honestly, if I could make it six, would tight make it six or even more? But so that's been the process. And so the goal was when we first did this was let's give it back to Nebraska fans first. Let's bring it to Nebraska and allow a different type of viewing experience and not just a the theatrical type of experience, but in a very social and celebratory type of experience where we can be in a theater that is different than just any kind of movie theater, but a grand theater where you can socialize and be with fellow Husker fans and relive those days and share those moments uh, that you remember uh, with maybe your kids that didn't live during that time to experience that, uh, that Husker greatness. So... That was the overall mission. So that's where we're at now is releasing it to Nebraska fans. Um, We're doing it only in Lincoln, Nebraska right now for this weekend. And eventually we'll spread that out throughout the state. Um, So that's that's basically where we're at with the film right now. Now You're
0: at the finish line now, but smack dab in the middle of filming, there was the COVID-19 pandemic hitting. So I I want (laughs) to ask you with with all this, footage you've gotten was there ever any point in the process where you were worried man maybe we won't get this out maybe we won't get this done just just wrenches along the way uh came up and uh, it's it's incredible to see you guys at the finish line now
6: yeah we definitely COVID definitely we, we actually wanted to release this in 2020 um but we went back and revisited the film and realized, you know what, we need to do this in two parts. It's uh, And so with that extra time, we just said, hey, we're going to capitalize on the extra time and, and do something even bigger than we originally expected. So it, it all kind of worked out, but yeah, we knew we were going to get it out at some point, but yeah, it definitely uh, it, it held us up for a little bit. I think it was one step back that launched us two steps forward.
2: Justin LaPera with us, director day by day. The first part of the Nebraska football dynasty documentary uh, drops at the Rococo tomorrow day by day movie where you log on and get your seats. And the way you described that, not only for Nebraska fans that, that may have been young during the dynasty or, or not been around, but that's that's the painting of so many families every Saturday going to games during that era or before. Uh, getting to experience it. Now they get to hear firsthand from those who who lived it, those Nebraska players from that era. You mentioned two themes when you break this documentary up. uh, Tomorrow, the Rise debuts. Uh, Let's touch on that storyline with Coach Osborne and some of the characters that, that folks will see tomorrow in this first part.
6: Right, so the, the, this one really kind of sets the stage for Coach Osborne as, uh, come, taking over as the head coach in 1973, and, and we really get into the players that really shifted the culture. This is about a specific group of guys that were going to do things different that uh, got them across the finish line to that first national championship. Um, but it was, it was a rough and rugged group that came in, and – you get a really good sense of the behind the scenes of, of what went on in that locker room and what it took to win that first national championship. And so the characters you're going to see are a lot of guys from the 93, 94 team, um, the 95 team. Uh, a lot of those players are also chiming in. They kind of all cross over. Um, but that's really you're going to hear a lot from the, the the earlier guys in that in that group for that beginning of the dynasty run.
2: What was it like to sit down with Coach Osborne? We've spoken to him, and, and he's excited. But there's, you know, he doesn't he doesn't know what what's going to be said. I mean, this is from the players' mouths, their experiences. Uh, for this thing to, to go, um, it it needed to be something he was behind, and it sounds like he was excited about this moving forward.
6: Yeah, you know the big thing was Coach Osborne. Is he was really just stressed? Hey, I just want this to be told accurately. He didn't want things to be fabricated or or mis- misinterpreted. and You know that was, that's not a hard that was not a hard ask for us at all um there's no reason to fabricate anything but this story it's what happened and, and how they did it is truly remarkable and um when i tell people the, the story that I don't know much about um what went on you know they're always just blown away that, that that's that's how it it happened in 94 of, of how they got to where they're at but um yeah it, it, he was he was amazing to sit down with we sat down and for four hours straight without a break and um we did it on a pretty cold day and we, We had to do it in the uh, East Stadium. I said we had to because it was just the perfect look for an interview for an interview of that magnitude. And and so it was frigid with all the and He used to kind of surround him. And I was shivering. I was sitting across from him and I'm shaking and he is flinching the whole time during the interview, just straight, just take down the barrel. And so it was pretty pretty incredible getting the top of him. And he he was so open about everything, you know, that, um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything. That he would have to be worried about being said because uh, he really shared it. It touched on everything.
2: Justin, uh, you mentioned Coach Osborne and the different characters. We touched on the theme of of the rise. The, the second part that what's that theme center around?
6: So that's the second part. It. It's uh, when you get to the top, staying on the top, and, and a big part of the second movie is you become the most dominant program in, in the history of college football. Third things and outside forces are going to come into play from major uh, media scrutiny to, you know, not being a major scene. And as outside forces try to pull you apart, it's, it's are you going to unravel or are you going to come together and do something great and send out one of the greatest coaches of all time, um, in his final season. And so it's really about um, the fall and then, uh, and then the, the rise to a great, uh, uh, a goal for a greater goal for common good.
2: I remember back and I, and I started college in, in 96 at the university of Nebraska. And, and I remember going into that year, your preseason number one, Nebraska is, and it's, well, they, they've just got this thing locked and loaded and it's rolling and then, oh no! You go eleven and two, <laughs> and and everyone around campus was just like, "What's wrong with the football team?" Eleven and two sounds real awesome right now, but back then, I bet it was it was really difficult to navigate for some some of those new faces trying to to carry on the legacy.
6: Yeah, I think you know, as a fan, you're devastated, and you sometimes wonder, "Hey, was the." Is the team that disappointed, or you know, just naturally as a fan? Art. Did they give it everything they got? And what's what was really fascinating that '96 season is how much that still pains the guys, and how, and it's pretty incredible how that season affected them um, to the point of it was going to completely implode, or they were going to rise above and do something and go against odds to, to do something great. And, and but it's it's fascinating to hear from coach Scott Frost and other players of the impact that that season had on them and how difficult that was for them, Especially for him. You know, that was his first starting year as a quarterback taking over for Tommy Frazier and Frank Barrier. So it was a huge shoes to fill and the demand were really high now let alone the fact that he was coming from Stanford. So Um, all kinds of dynamics uh, that he had to navigate through with the fans and and
4: with the team. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. I'm Brandon Vogel, managing editor of Hale Varsity. And I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you, for less than $20, can get everything we produce, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to hailbarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of hail varsity. That's hail varsity.com slash subscribe promo code GBR. And we're back.
1: Fellas, think we could listen to the radio
4: on hail varsity radio presented by
1: the Nebraska lottery. Yes. That's awesome.
2: Justin LaPera director for day by day, the documentary for Nebraska football, the, uh, the dominance, the dynasty, and at the Rococo uh, premieres tomorrow. can log on daybydaymovie.com to get your seats, find a showing that, that works with your schedule uh, Thursday through Saturday. And just to, to wrap here, Justin, I want to go back to Coach Frost. Was it difficult to get him to sit down and and kind of lay it out there, his emotions, his experience, transfer and back? He's... he's Front and center as head coach right now, but he also had to follow a, a great in Tommy Frazier at quarterback.
6: Yeah, surprisingly, it wasn't. I was going into that interview, I was definitely concerned on what Scott was going to want to talk about and what he wasn't, and it was very. I was very surprised at how open he was, and I was shocked. His interview was one of my favorites because he really tells you exactly what he was going through and he doesn't hold it back you know of of some of the frustrations that he had and at times doubts and um and so it's it's fascinating hearing from him and, um yeah i i was very surprised with his interview I'm really stoked he was he was incredible uh really really class that guy and, and just uh it was a ton of fun to talk to him but very very open
2: of all your interviews hundreds of hours of interviews and sit-downs, and round tables and story time, and behind the scenes, is there a character or two from the movie that still makes you laugh or smile that uh, that you got to meet and sit down with? A former player, coach, uh, part of the program, somebody that has that uh, kind of been ingrained with you?
6: Oh, for sure. I think Troy Dumas is one of them. You'll definitely see him in this first movie. He's a character, and when he talks and, and- Takes you through some of the moments in the game. I mean, he just lifts you up. Um, plus, I, I guarantee there's probably gonna be a couple memes of uh, Troy ha- after this first movie yeah. comes out with some of the lines he heard. Um, but you know, him and uh, Barry Switzer was hilarious to talk with. Um, you know, always always a character with Barry, and, and then Bobby Bowden. Um, we got we were really fortunate to get to interview him, and so he was incredible to interview and the stories and just the way he tells the stories um and then obviously coach osborne uh getting down getting to sit down and just you know talk with the greatest coach of all time and actually get to ask him questions you know i'll never forget that
0: justin before we let you get out of here i've seen comments on social media people unable to make it to the rococo this weekend i I just want to know what does this thing look like moving forward for people whether it be streaming options or, or other ways to watch besides the rococo this weekend
6: Oh, for sure. So we're definitely going to get it out um, outside of Nebraska. There will be options available that we're looking into to to get it as far as, you know, up to Alaska. And shoot, if we need to get it to Germany, to Nebraska fans in Germany, we're we're going to figure it out. Um, So definitely it's kind of a slow burn where, where we're really trying to roll it out strong in Nebraska first. Give them that opportunity that Nebraska and uh, and then move it beyond to, to areas throughout the country because I know there's Nebraska fans all over the world that we got to make sure they have a chance to see it. But um, definitely the, the theatrical experience is, is important to this type of story. It, it you know you can watch it stream it and we realized that just wasn't going to do it full justice without at least having the option to watch it in the theater because. You're, you know, just from the sound design and everything that's involved in making it a real movie. You sit in in a theater and you're going to feel it. It'll feel exactly like you're at that game. You're going to feel the hits. You're going to hear them, and so it just will have, it has that kind of impact. And, So we wanted to make sure fans were able to experience it that way first because you'll never experience it like that again, um, you know, once it goes to streaming. So uh, that was the big goal for it. And that's why we're rolling it out this way
5: first.
2: Justin LaPera with us, director day by day. Justin, we'll see you soon. Uh, Best to you, and thanks for your time today.
5: All right, thank you guys.
2: Good stuff from Justin. Appreciate him making time as he's traveling in for the premiere Tomorrow with the Rococo, and uh, we'll catch up with uh, assistant coach during the decade, that, uh, that that dominant era, that dynasty, Ron Brown, tomorrow. We'll talk with Coach Ron, five or so. Uh, excited to do that. NCAA has a lot to do be beyond NIL and Portal, and there are some rule changes here this summer that are being previewed that includes the transfer window. That includes recruiting periods. <laughs> that, that includes not limiting scholarship personnel. This is being discussed. The change would eliminate and the limit on number of coaches who may be employed by an institution. And it may or may not be paired with the concept to eliminate all personnel designations, volunteer coaches, grad assistants, analysts, all that stuff. So schools could pay for as many full-time assistant coaches as they can afford. And the little things like who is and isn't allowed to wear a headset, you know, when you get slapped on the wrist for Too many folks involved or the analyst coaching when he's not supposed to be coaching. That wouldn't matter anymore. Novel thought. Hey, get what you pay for. If you want to pay for two offensive line coaches like Nebraska did because they were great, Taneper and Young, go for it. If you want to pay for a quarterback coach and an offensive coordinator, go for it. I don't know the, the number for the NFL, if it's set or not. I just know that there's an assistant to the position position coach. Uh, it, it would further divide the gap with the haves and the have-nots and who's got money to spend and as an institution, as an athletic department, what's your budget look like and is, is the uh, same dollar being chased by NIL opportunities for a third party while you yourself as a university can't can't pay players, but that third party can for NIL. But I, I love this. I think it's been stupid to not have an 11th full-time coach. Right? I mean, Barrett Rood, really good football coach, was kind of on the periphery in Central Florida because they were full up. Bill Bush, an analyst last year, because Nebraska was full up, it took Tui Yodi taking off to Oregon to have an opening. And then he obviously made staff changes, but one of those changes you needed to make was devote a full-time, detail-oriented stud recruiter and coach to making Nebraska's third phase not a, not, not a, not a freak show and not, not a situation that's costing you points. So I'm okay with that. And if you can't afford it, you better find out a way to afford it or just get lucky and good with who you hire and pray you retain them. Do you have a problem
0: with this? Well, I, I've done some research here while you were talking, and um, I, I don't believe I don't there. I a,
2: was talking that long.
0: Good work. I, I don't believe there is a cap on the total number of full-time coaches an NFL team is uh, allowed to have. However, most teams are in the fourteen to sixteen range, and that includes their strength and conditioning coaches. And obviously, you have sure. a bigger strength and conditioning staff in college, which does not count towards assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. But in college, I ble- it's what nine full-time assistants and two. Two or three graduate assistants? I think you have 10. 10 assistants and then two or three graduate assistants? Yeah. So you're a a few short of the NFL number. I think
2: two was was the old number. I think you have two GAs, and then you have a couple of analysts, of course. The other thing being kicked around, but uh, roster size. The idea would be that conferences or schools could decide to offer as many scholarships for as many sports as they can afford. If you want to be great at baseball, go all in on baseball. Offer full scholarships, not partial. Uh, the thinking behind the idea is simply if college athletics is supposed to be at op- about opportunities for young adults, then why have arbitrary caps on team financial aid, well, they're doing it to keep a level playing field. Sounds like the NCAA is like getting out of getting out of the way of, of a level playing field because it's a runaway train right now with NIL anyway. But they're uh, they're sending a flag up to the old SEC because they're going to spend it to make it. Well, isn't the, the
0: scholarship cap... the 85. Well, isn't that a result, though, of Title Nine? Yeah. That you have to be even
2: with the men's and women's sports? So that, if you're going to spend... Does, does that change here under this new guideline is what well, I would wonder? Title Nine's, I mean, a federal law. So if you're going to have... If you're going to keep your roster size at 130 or 140, but you want to go from 85 to 100, you have to find 15 more scholarships... On the women's on side. On the women's side. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many walk-ons you have for for basketball. I don't know how many walk-ons you have for volleyball. I don't know with volleyball if there's full scholarship or it's all partial. And then for for softball, the same thing holds true. Can you put more folks on full? Could you could you put more folks on full time scholarship? Uh, and and divvy it up that way. You know, I think that this rule would help a lot women's bowling team it could be the most
0: dominant women's bowling team in the history of the sport if they're all making already full scholarship. good they're already really good mm-hmm. but imagine if every single one of them was on a full ride in order to to equalize out for the husker football program potentially having more scholarships that'd be great
2: well you have uh a shift like this would be advantageous to the sec because the schools are Set to receive more money than anyone else in the annual distribution from media rights. The Big Ten, though, is in prime position. So what are you going to do in the Big Ten when Nebraska is getting $100 million a year? To be in the Big Ten. Everyone else in the Big Ten is getting $100 million a year. You pay it forward to the student-athletes on multiple fronts team-wise. So... I think that's a pretty good idea. We'll see if it, if it happens, but you've got a river of cash already happening for the SEC and the Big Ten. You're going to have more money, presumably, for the Pac-12 and the ACC, and uh, we'll see what the future of college football looks like. We'll get Bill Dolman's take on this Friday. Reminder, we're on the road Friday. We were at Haymarket Park for a road show Friday, getting you ready and set in front of the Salt Dogs' Home opener. Should be an awesome day to be out at the ballpark. We invite you down. I think it is 96 Kicks night, so come on out, party that way, and get yourself a beer and a dog and enjoy. But uh, Roadshow Friday for us as we'll uh, be pretty sure we'll be set up in the, uh, the booth and can stare out at a uh, wonderful, beautiful Haymarket and then, of course, the, the west side of the stadium, Husker Baseball at Illinois this weekend. Jock Doc's on the way. Hail Varsity continues. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Like what you hear? High quality radio and podcast just part of what we do at Hale Varsity. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you, for less than $20, can get everything we produce, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR.
1: He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a hot, preteen Swedish
2: boy. Back with you, tail varsity radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for a jock Doc Wednesday, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. Dr. Ben Woodhead with us. Dr. Ben, how you been?
7: Doing pretty darn good, Chris. How about yourself? This weather's starting to get a lot better.
2: It's about time. <laughs> with uh, with the, is. the wind going down, a little sticky today, but we'll take it and it is baseball weather it's golf and baseball weather and a guy that I'd love to see pitch live sometime is Jacob deGrom two-time Cy Young Cy Young award winner for the Mets uh, along with all the hardware Dr. Ben man he's been pretty injury prone
7: yeah I mean he's got this new injury that extended him out to a much longer amount of time and as a right-handed pitcher that certainly becomes problematic if you can't throw
2: I'd say so and there's a stress reaction in his right shoulder blade tell us a little bit as you read it here with not only the extension from the the 10-day DL to a 60-day but uh, what what does stress reaction mean to you?
7: Yeah so stress reaction is kind of a broad term but What it actually comes down to mean is that there's something going on in his shoulder blade and shoulder blades also kind of a vague term because you got a bunch of different areas in the shoulder blade that actually attach to muscles and can fracture and can be injured. And so a stress reaction is where there's an increased amount of bone turnover. And so basically what that means is he had some type of stress fracture or bone injury uh, where his body is trying to heal it but it's not healing it fast enough and so there's this tremendous amount of bone turnover that's trying to take place and he's not able to throw because of the pain.
2: Dr. Ben Woodhead is with us uh, Nebraska Orthopedic Center a jock doc Wednesday Jacob DeGrom with us the two-time Cy Young Ward winner for the Mets and he's had quite a bit of uh medical examination we look at april 25th they had Degrom. he had an mri and then also a ct scan that showed the injury was was healing and, th- and then there were more g- exams this month so are those just follow-ups or is there something else that's popped up on the radar
7: well, I would imagine he, you know, when they got the MRI and the CT scan, they initially thought it was something small and, and likely as they progressed him, he he probably did not recover as quickly as they thought. And, you know, I think that's two important points. Talking about the CT scan and talking about the MRI, you're looking at two different things. The MRI will show you a little more of the soft tissue in the shoulder. It will look at the tendons. It will look at the ligaments. But what it also does is it tells you how much swelling is in the bone so if he did have a small fracture or a stress fracture what will come up on that MRI is you will see a different essentially color in the MRI where there's a bunch of swelling in the bone and it can tell you to some degree how much of the severity of the injury is even if it doesn't need anything like surgery and so so that's what the MRI tells you but the CT they were also looking if there is that reaction in the bone you can tell if the bone is displaced or if there's even some early bone healing. You'll see that on the CT scan because that shoulder blade will start where the actual injury is. It will start building new bone. And they must have seen something that is not suggestive of healing. That's why they delayed him.
2: When it comes to DeGrom, I'm, I'm interested in just the the amount of mileage on his shoulder. He's been phenomenal when healthy. But he's already, I shouldn't say already, but he's 29 years of age, and is this, what can he do to further his career? I'm not saying by any stretch this is career ending, but there's more and more issues it feels like with him uh, being able to go a full season.
7: Yeah. So a lot of these, especially a stress reactions and overuse type injury. So is he not resting enough? It's hard to say. Did he have an actual injury that led to the reaction? It's hard for us to know at this time, but you know, this is an injury that theoretically should not limit him longer term as long as it heals. But this is an injury that's hard to recover from because in a pitcher's throwing mechanics, your shoulder blade or your scapula, um, is plays a tremendous role in terms of the motion, the velocity. Um, you have over 10 different muscles that attach to the shoulder blade. And so if these are firing at different areas and causing a reaction, you know, you're just not functioning normally. And so, you know, will he heal and go on to live a normal life, you know, long term? Yeah, absolutely. But it certainly can affect a guy like that that is reliant just on his pitching capabilities.
2: Jacob DeGrom, our topic today, uh, when it comes to a jock doc Wednesday, Nebraska Orthopedic Center, Dr. Ben Woodhead with us. So is it odd to, to have this shoulder issue and concern go from 10 to 60 day DL to, oh, yeah, by the way, he starts throwing again today. I just that's that timing wise. It's weird.
7: Yeah and I think it's probably you know whether they got another follow up MRI or a follow up CT scan or what study they got they certainly had some type of information that he is not healing like they thought he would and so um whatever led to that setback they had enough information to say hey we need to stop the progress and and stop rehabbing him getting him back and we need to rest him and and allow his body to heal and so that's what that tells me uh when you extend that that delay to return out
2: so he's had a a uh, UCL on his pitching elbow. He's rehabbed from Tommy John that UCLA, and and he didn't pitch at all in 2011, recovering from the surgery. And uh, he worked on his changeup with another casualty of the Tommy John, and, and that was, if you remember, the name Johan Santana. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's regarded as the best there is in baseball, but, man, he's had some, some arm issues. Long-term, Dr. Ben, before we get you out of here, what are some precautionary uh, measures that DeGrom can take that the Mets are looking into? He's 33 years of age. There's still some gas left in the tank, but you don't want it to be less than premium, so to speak, when it comes to his stuff.
7: Well, absolutely. And, you know, with this early setback after they were trying to get him back, I think the most important thing right now is to rest him and let him heal. That is of utmost importance. And so if they can get him back to that 100 percent before he gets back, you know, that will give us a little bit of time in terms of um, being able to look forward and see if he's going to be able to recover fully. But, you know, as we know, as we've seen with pitchers and overhead athletes, there's certainly this finite lifespan where they – and they get more injuries and they have more problems as they go along and the body doesn't recover and heal like it did when you're younger. And so, you know, as he gets older, that's certainly going to be a problem. Some of the age and with his prior UCL, if he does have this stress reaction that really doesn't ever heal, you know, a lot of these can compound and maybe one of these, you know, is not a big deal. But when you start having all these injuries, you know, if, if all of them don't return to a hundred percent, it certainly can place you at risk for further injuries.
2: Dr. Ben Woodhead with us, a jock Doc Wednesday, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. Jacob DeGrom, our, uh, DeGrom, our, our topic today, and the incredible righty for the Mets. Again, uh, spread out to that 60-day DL, but at least he has uh, began throwing again today. Dr. Ben, have a good weekend. Uh, we'll get caught up again soon. Thanks for a few minutes here.
7: Thanks, Chris. Have a great week.
2: That'll do it for that segment here at Jock Doc. Good to say hi to Dr. Ben. We'll give you a shot shortly to beef up your backyard. We'll wind down a Wednesday with Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery.
4: Like what you hear? High-quality radio and podcasts are just part of what we do at Hale Varsity. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor. I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you... For less than $20, you can get everything we do. 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to hailvarsitycom slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's hailvarsitycom slash subscribe, promo code GBR.
1: Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail varsity Radio.
2: One final time on a Wednesday, big thank you to day-by-day director Justin LaPera. Big thanks to Mike Shewhart, Wilderness Ridge, Mike Babcock from Hale Varsity. Good talking some college football. Subscribe to the podcast. Take us with six days a week, Monday through Friday, and the Weekend Edition Saturday. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Herd Ad Media platform. And you can also log on HaleVarsity.com for the pod. The on-demand segments, the uh, one-on-ones, uh, can go to ESPNLincoln.com. Elijah will have the uh, you know, some of the best moments of our interview segments up on ESPN Lincoln's Twitter handle, at ESPN Lincoln. Tomorrow on the show, Brandon Vogel will join us. And then VEASAN's Best Bets with Daddy Burke. Ron Brown spends time with us. And then Coach Gary Barnett. And can email the show, Chris at HaleVarsity.com. Give us a follow on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio or at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. So what do you got tonight? Do the Warriors move ahead and close this thing out? They're up 3-1 on the Grizz. They're in Memphis. Bucks, Celtics, they're tied at 2. Line right now is minus minus. Five and a half for for Boston, minus four for Golden State. How you leaning tonight? Golden State to to finish it off. Just just rock them.
0: I, I mean, the Grizzlies gave them their their best punch without John ja Morant the other night, mm-hmm. and it still they they came up short. And I don't think the Warriors are going to have another off shooting night like that. I, I believe Steph said uh, that uh, they look like the Sacramento Kings for a night.
2: I I saw that,
0: and uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Except they again. won so. I, I got the uh, the Warriors to finish them off, just because I don't see them going three and a half quarters that cold yet again. And the Warriors need everything they can, uh, or sorry, the Grizzlies need everything they can, just to take the Warriors that close. So I think it finishes.
2: Are you uh, are you wanting to see, Giannis advance? or Are you kind of in love with the Celtics team? I really do like the Celtics team.
0: I mean, <clears throat> Giannis already won his finals last year. Let, let me let's get some new blood in the
2: finals. It's kind of funny that like Brad Stevens is. This genius. And now he's moved to the front office, and man, it's it's all better. It feels like it. It seems like it. So, excuse me. The over unders, 214 and a half for Milwaukee and Boston. I think the Celtics find a way at home. Five and a half's kind of a hook right there. I think this might be a four point ball game. So, the. Five and a half, uh, not, not great. Let's get qualified right now. Caller nine. You beef up your backyard, your chance to qualify. Get that smoker with Capital Patio and the Flame Shop, the Smoky Mountain Cooker Smoker, the gift card to Russ's. Caller nine right now, that gift card to Russ's for $100. bucks. that will get you a lot of steak, a lot of ribs, a lot of chicken, a lot of pork chops. Uh, how about some good old-fashioned sausages? And just smoke them, man. Smoke them with this great smoker. Get to Capitol Patio and check it out. But to the drawing, the end of May, Caller 9 qualifies to beef up your backyard with ESPN Lincoln. Caller 9 466 37 800 I'm going to go gargle. And we'll be back tomorrow at 4. Caller 9 right now. Thanks for listening.
0: A Media Production.